My daddy's gone on, my grandpa's gone on, my great-grandpa's gone on. But they still live. You know, the, the spray is still here. Well, they tell me of a home where no storm clouds rise. Tell me of a home far away. Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode five of It Still Lives, the Foxfire podcast. We're your hosts, Kimmy Aarons. And I'm TJ Smith, and, and we have a special guest star today, Barry Stiles. Yeah, Barry is the curator here at the museum and an incredible wealth of knowledge on all things Foxfire. So we've brought him in for a very special podcast that we've kind of been holding on to for a while. I think now is a pretty good time to release it. It's pretty enjoyable, should hopefully be interesting to you all, but we are going to discuss moonshining today. Now, people love to characterize moonshining when they talk about Appalachia, but we're going to give you more of the real perspective today. And so we brought Barry in because he knows more about moonshine than anyone I know. Yeah, moonshining has a long history in the mountains and people love to know about it and learn about it. There's a lot of romanticized versions about it, yep. but it's uh, some of it's true. There's no doubt some of it's true, but it has kind of a tainted history also. And this area was renowned for its moonshine for many, many years. And there were just probably more stills in this county than anywhere else in the United States. I mean, without exaggerating, that's true. And why is that? Well, you had the isolation of the area. So that tradition kept on longer. You also had the cultural tradition of making whiskey, which goes back hundreds of years. And you had a lack of money. A hundred years ago, a good wage was between 25 cents a day and 10 cents an hour if you had a really high paying job, if you could get a paying job. Right. You could take corn and turn it into liquor and maybe make 30 to $40 from one run. At 10 cents an hour, you're gonna be making about $200 a year. So just financial incentive, lack of jobs. People, you know, they took pride in their craft of what they were making, but they were really just trying to feed their families. Yeah, one of the, one of the people we're gonna hear from today on the episode is Conway Watkins. And in a portion of, a, of an interview that we published in Foxfire Story, he mentions, you know, why he got into it, he had a wife and six children. Right. Mm -hmm. And and that puts a lot of stress and strain on a breadwinner. Right. Yeah, and even in the excerpt we'll share from former Sheriff Queen, he acknowledges that people were just trying to feed their families, which I think is really interesting coming from a law perspective. Right. Now, law enforcement that. understood yeah. that these people were just trying to make a living. They weren't trying to hurt anybody. You know, they're just trying to get by. Well, for, you know, from a legal standpoint, and, and hey, you can help me fill in the blanks here. It was a federal law. Right. But do you think that states would have enacted anything had it not been for federal regulation? Probably. Okay. Probably because it's revenue. a form of tax evasion. Right. Yeah. It's, it's loss of revenue. Right. And it's in the millions of dollars. I mean, even in the 1950s, it was millions and millions of lost tax revenue. So there were, and still are actually, state laws and federal laws. But it, it's really comes down to tax, but there's also health concerns. And, you know, moonshine is made in different ways. Yes. And there's things in it other than alcohol that are not necessarily healthy. And there's alcohols in it that are not healthy, like isopropyl alcohol. 
methanol alcohol, which are poisonous. And the other ingredient that's that's more toxic is lead. Yes. You know, and lead is is something that accumulates in your body. So over time, you just get higher and higher lead levels, and then you can go blind. You can have organ failure. Um, I have some chemical analysis of moonshine from samples that were collected from Raven County, and the lead varies from, say, 40 parts per billion to almost 900 parts per billion. And water is only allowed to have 15 parts per billion to be safe. Wow. So even the low level is higher than what's recommended. And, and a lot of that lead content had to do with the materials they were utilizing to, to make the still, for instance. Right. Copper is very expensive, and that's the ideal metal to use. Right. But as we found just up you know, in the cabin the other day, up here where we were cleaning out for the, the weaver's cabin, somebody used what looked like an old water heater. Right. Which would have not been copper. And a trash can. And a trash can. <laughs> which right. is zinc. The radiators were another right, that's common right. thing, which is made out of... Uh, it has lead solder in yes. it. Yes. Yeah. And I think even lower quality copper could end up with lead in it right. also. Yeah. So you have a lot of a lot of chances for, for tainting your moonshine. So you're, you're trusting in the maker of it right. when you buy it. And, you know, with, with you know, uh, uh, legal distillation of alcohol, you have these regulations to ensure that the materials that are utilizing don't contain these poisons right. and the process properly. But when it's just happening out in the woods, you know, it's anybody's guess. And, right. and all, the maker's having to use what they can get their hands on. That's right. And there's really a, a large transition so around the 1950s, early 1950s, from people doing small batch stills, using a copper still, switching to more of a steam-based still, and then they were wanting volume. Right. So you go from someone making, say, 30, 40 gallons of liquor to one that's making 2,000 gallons in a run. And they're the ones that were using the sugar and then right. using metals that really aren't meant for beverages and so they went from quality to quantity and the quality went down because the volume went up and that it it really pretty much ruined the moonshine right. you know, industry well, let's talk about this this sugar versus corn because traditionally you would have used corn that was sprouted corn mm -hmm. that's where you, that's your sugar source is the is the young sprouts coming out of the the, the corn that you cook down into a beer and then you process that, whereas the sugar, you're still using corn, but the, but using bag sugar just escalates the process. Right. And it, it, you're wanting the starch and the corn to basically ferment right. over time. So by using sugar, you're speeding it up, making it faster. That doesn't mean you're making it better. Right. Right. This is what it comes down to. Sugar was expensive at one time, yes. so you weren't using sugar in the right. old days. There's no sugar in it. That's a different product. But as it got cheaper... Right. You could buy sacks of it. Right. <laughs> and I've heard of stills that they were running 2,000 pounds of sugar per batch. I mean, it's just the volume that they were doing is just unbelievable. Yeah. It's just unbelievable. So why don't we just take a second and maybe talk about the process of moonshining? Because it's still something that I only know pieces of, but it's what it is. Scotch-Irish tradition. Yes. Now, there's a little debate over where whiskey began. Sure. Some believe, <laughs> and it may be true, that whiskey was invented by the Irish. 
And then as the Scots came over into the Ulster region, they well, learned the how Scots to make are whiskey. Like to hear that. And some say <laughs> Irish invented whiskey and the Scots perfected whiskey. Mm. So <laughs> I'll, I'll I don't know. With that. I, I do I, like that I, Irish whiskey. Yeah. I would say the best whiskey I ever had was on the island of Islay. Um, there's qualities to both. Yes. Yeah, there's <laughs> yeah. qualities to both. And both cultures are renowned for whiskey. And then that, of course, was brought here with settlers right. coming here. But here they were using corn as a grain right. to make moonshine, which makes typically colorless, perfectly clear liquor. So you have to have some sort of grain that ferments into what's called beer. And then the, the beer has alcohol in it. But it's not table beer. That we're right, drinking. it's not table it's beer. It's, it's mash. It's you a can mash, think yeah. of a, as a mash. Okay. Yeah. And then that mash is heated up. And what you're wanting to do is turn the alcohol that's in that mash to steam. And so that's what the still does. So you have, you know, a traditional still that we would have is a copper pot, basically, with a lid on it. And you build a wood fire underneath that, kind of like using a wood stove. And you're heating up that mash to get the steam out. And then once you start getting the steam, you have to maintain a constant temperature. Because if you get it above where you're getting initial steam, you get different types of alcohol out of that, which you don't want. So maintaining your fire is really important in the stilling process. And that's hard to do with a wood fire. It takes a lot of skill. And the steam goes through this thumper keg, picks up more alcohol, then that goes in the condenser, which has water that's cooling it. And then that steam cools back down to a liquid, which is your product at the end. Some people would run liquor through the still twice to get a better product. And you can get liquor that's 150, 180 proof, somewhere in there. And we probably have a quote where, where Simi is talking about tempering the moonshine. And tempering it means that you're taking it down to a, a lower level of alcohol content. Most people want something around 100 proof, not right. 200 proof to right. drink. So that, that's what they do is they either mix it with a lower, paint. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> lower level of alcohol or add water to it. And people like Simi and other moonshiners, they could shake a bottle of moonshine, look at the bubbles, and tell the proof of it by looking at it, which is called proofing it. That, that takes practice and skill. So, I mean, was it based on the number of bubbles or the form of the bubbles? The, the way size they act. Of, yeah, the way, the way they, they act. act. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's weird. That's crazy. That's, weird. that's awesome. At least that's my understanding. Really that's interesting. <laughs> wow. 180 proof. Yeah, 180 proof, which is also flammable. That would curl your head. <laughs> yeah, it's flammable. Um, one, you know, just a short word about this, too. We're talking about you know pure moonshine, but there was a, another beverage up here that was very popular, which was brandy. Right, and that's made from fruit. Right. So is it a similar process, just with a fruit mash, or are they mm -hmm. adding? And in some instances, I've heard of them taking fruit and jamming it in, a, you know, putting it in a jar and then pouring moonshine over that and letting it sit. Right, and I don't know if that's really would be considered brandy. That's more cordial, that's right? Like a flavored, yeah, a flavored liquor. But the brandy, you're you're doing this process right. instead of corn, you're utilizing fruit or a combination right. fruit that's been fermented, fermented. right? That's yeah, the peaches, apples, right? Yeah, and there was a still busted back in, gosh, I think it was the '90s, and they were doing both. They had a brandy setup and um, grain setup. I've had some peach brandy in my day that was. Pretty great. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so why do you think that moonshine has this aura around it? Why do you think that people are just so interested in moonshine? 
Hmm, that's a good question. I think part of it is the illegal nature of it has intrigue. You know, like I said, some of the romance of it. You mm-hmm. have people working in the woods secretly trying to make something, trying to beat the system in a sense, uh, making a quality product, hopefully, and then running it. Right. You know, and a lot of the interest is in running. Moonshine. Right. And there's a lot of, I mean, we have some mainstream tie-ins to that. I mean, we have right. a whole sport that was generated around running moonshine. That's right. Yep. Yeah. Running moonshine. So I think that's part of it, too, is is that mystique of, yeah. you know, people trying to get away from law enforcement, like Smokey and the Bandit type yep. thing, you know, where you're trying <laughs> to run away and not get caught. And, you know, that was a whole separate part of moonshining were the runners. Yes, you know, and they they souped up their cars to haul heavy loads because you could be, you know, easily looking at a thousand pounds yes. added to a vehicle. And even in a modern vehicle, that's going to tax yeah. it, you know, right. just the suspension's going to have issues, lack of power. So there were people that just specialized in souping up cars for hauling liquor. And then there were others that all they did was drive. And those guys became the founders of NASCAR. That's right. All that drive. <laughs> We talk about the you know the families of NASCAR, the Earnhardts, right. the Allisons, the Elliots. All of those people came out of that tradition of of running liquor. Right, and I'm sure there were some amazing drivers that never got recognized right. at all. They just right. were trying to make a living like anyone else. There were some runners that actually would use two drivers, and one car would haul the moonshine, and then the other car, which was usually the more skilled driver, was trying to get the police or law enforcement to follow them. So they were the lure, the bait. And then they would engage the law enforcement to keep them distracted while the other car just drove normally to wherever they were going. So that, that car had to, had to really be able to drive and drive fast. And if they got caught, they had nothing. So they, they were the, the decoy, I guess I would call it. <laughs> so they, they were well thought out. You know, They wanted to get their product to market wherever that might be. And most of our liquor for a long time was sent out of the area. You know, you have bigger cities like Greenville and Atlanta that uh, you'd be able to sell more than just locally. Right. You know. Well, so. then they're selling it to bootleggers, right? And bootleggers right. are the ones who are actually doing it. Right. Yeah. Usually solution. there's a middleman involved. They weren't, yeah. people making it weren't involved in hauling it. Yeah. They were selling it and then someone else hauling it. See, I used to use Moonshiner and Bootlegger interchangeably until I started to do some research and I realized how wrong I was. Right. And around here, they're typically more likely called blockaders. Mm. than moonshiners uh-huh. or liquor men. Moonshine really wasn't applied that often. Right. You know. Well, and, and uh, the story with Conway that we pulled the excerpt from Conway Watkins' interview, you know, at that when they were getting busted, he and Buck Carver were making liquor that they took to another guy down the mountain who was responsible for distribution. Right, that's right. And the cops were actually up there looking for that guy, thinking that he was the, the one producing the liquor, but it was Conway and Buck, and this was up in Highlands. Yeah, yeah, yeah they were yeah. coming after the guys from Georgia. Yeah, and uh, I thought that was interesting. You know, they were, they're more of the, the artists. Right, that's right. They're not really responsible for the for distribution or anything like right. that. They're just creating the product. Although <laughs> Buck did run some liquor in his day. He did. And usually with Kay or right. some of the other girls in the back seat on top of the cases of liquor. And you'd sell, he'd sell out of his house too. Yep. People would come and buy from him. And he was renowned for a quality liquor. Yes. I mean, just renowned. Even law enforcement remark how how good his liquor was. Well, and his, his skills with building a still. Right. As, yeah. As we have up here. Yeah, most people that made moonshine made their own still. 
Yeah. You know, that, that was part of the craft was constructing your own steel. That was the, that's the interesting yeah. thing too, that, that dynamic relationship between not the federal men necessarily, but local law enforcement in the moonshiners we referenced earlier, but there was a reverence and a bit of respect there. Right. They, they recognized the skill that went into making it, right. making the steel or even the moonshine itself. And of course they were trying to make a living too. Yes. So yeah, they weren't adversarial in any way. Right. You know, and even if the moonshiners got caught, like Luther Rickman, he'll say he never brought a person in to jail. He would catch them and then say, come to jail in two days. <laughs> and then they would show up. They didn't try to, you know, yeah. leave the country or anything. It was a disgrace. It's an interesting crime because it's not a violent crime and they're right. not getting busted for necessarily like illegal activity they're getting busted because of the revenue the right. tax revenue that's being lost and that's yeah. like the main driving force right behind here you know there were some instances though of it's hard not to think of the for me the fats hardy case in 52 where he was from gainesville and and making moonshine and then didn't have enough for an order so he added methanol alcohol to the moonshine Gosh. And over 300 people got sick. Mm. And around 40 people died. So he was convicted of murder. Yes. As, as a moonshiner. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So that's yeah. kind of the extreme case. And it also started the whole thing about how moonshine is, is unhealthy and bad, which, you know, in that case, it certainly was. Yes. But, but that, that wasn't really moonshine. It was. Right. But they was being sold as moonshine. Right. So, right. Yeah. And he always played innocent that he didn't know methanol was poisonous. Which I don't know if he did or not. It's hard to say. Mm. I don't know. But yeah. it undoubtedly is. So I guess let's go ahead and get uh, started with the clip. So we have four clips today. And the first, as we've already talked about a little bit, is from Conway Watkins, who um, was a moonshiner with Buck Carver. Unfortunately, the audio for Buck Carver was not very good. So we did not feature an excerpt from Buck today, but the story that Conway shares is of him and Buck getting caught up in North Carolina, which is pretty entertaining. Um, so we'll go ahead and play that. That old uh, federal man, <clears throat> that old federal man talking to us there. Me and Buck kept a clean place. We made good whiskey. Yeah. And uh, <clears throat> we kept it clean around there. Everything cleaned up. That old, that old federal man said, boys, he said, oh, I hate to cut a place like this down. He said, this is clean. He said, I've seen kitchens. He said, not as clean as this place is. Mm -hmm. I said, well, as far as I'm concerned, through, I said, you can just leave it. <laughs> I thought this well, that was a little fun. I know we got done caught. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, um, how many people were there? How many took them? There was uh, seven of them long. Seven? They, they had us surrounded good. Seven? Seven, and then Lehman and Fay come from down on the Georgia side, and they made nine. So I, I never did I never did feel bad about making liquor to feed my feed my children. Yep. They wasn't no job. No, it's, well this is what it's, people it still don't bother me a bit. Yep. I don't feel a bit bad about it. it ain't not when it's not when it's uh not poor. Of course I don't liquor. I don't want to go back now. I, yeah. I can live otherwise. But back then like there wasn't no money in Raven County before we made the whiskey. I know it. We was a <clears throat> we was a taking some of that whiskey down in North Carolina and selling some bootleggers down there next to Franklin. Mm -hmm. This old one-eyed man lived on the right-hand side of the road down there. I can't think what his name was, but he'd take about two cases a week, but we'd take a ton. Mm -hmm. And uh, I would. And 
<clears throat> went down there one night and they carried six cases and he was getting two of them and there's four more down there getting a case apiece on, on the other and that bootlegger, you know, down there. And that old man on the bank there, that old one-eyed man said to him, he said, what can you say today? He said, you better get out of here. He said, you better get back to Georgia. He said, this law done found out, said they was going to catch down the fellas to bring that liquor in here from Georgia and said then they was going to pick us bootleggers up. He said, just like a duck picking up corn. <laughs> so, so uh, you just took back the other four cases? Or? Yeah, I just left and come back. When I got his money for his two cases, I got back across from mine. Well, now, uh, you, they were called bootleggers because they were selling it. They were selling it. Well, you weren't right. called a bootlegger for making it. What they call no, you for uh, making it? Manufacturing. Manufacturing, huh? No, uh, but I know there was one police from Ireland. Or this family lived there at the foot of the mountain. We were selling two cases of liquor to a week for $18 a case. That's what we was getting for. What's in a case? Four gallons? Six. Six gallons? Yeah, we was getting $18 a case. And uh, we were selling him two cases. And he was taking it to Highlands and bootlegging it out, pinting mm -hmm. it out to people, you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, they thought he was making it down there and had a little old place of his own. And they was hunting for him when it found him both. But, but you were the ones that had been supplying him yeah, anyway. Okay, so the next clip that we're going to share is from Layman Lamont, we're not entirely sure how to pronounce his name, Queen, who was a former sheriff here in Raven County. Um, and he talks a little bit about what it was like to be a sheriff at that time. He was actually on a fee basis, which meant that he got paid based on the number of arrests or still busts that he did. Um, so he talks a little bit about how that worked on the law enforcement side, but then he also shares a little bit... Um, more information about the moonshiners themselves and how they would identify them. We talked about the cars. Um, even his wife chimes in and says that she could tell just by looking at a car. And there was one that drove by and she ran and grabs Layman and he came back out. Um, but I think my favorite part is when he talks about the bush bonds, yeah. <laughs> which is where, um, if, you, if you can't pick it up from this clip, it's when the moonshiners actually got away. So I, I found this pretty entertaining and um, enlightening as well. A lot of stuff I didn't know about Moonshine previously. Well, and two, Layman is the local law enforcement who comes up and retrieves Buck and Conway Watkins in the story that Conway just told. <laughs> it's Layman Queen and his deputy Faye who come up and and they they bring bring Buck and and Conway back home. <laughs> <laughs> Before they and then, but they but Buck and Conway end up having to go to Bryson City to make bond. Mm -hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, Layman comes up there and says, You know, take those damn handcuffs off these boys, they you ain't got no outlaws, these boys just making a little moonshine right. up here, a little liquor up here. <laughs> they were friends, yeah. Well, um, would you tell us about when you were sheriff? Well, when I was sheriff, it was just two of us, yeah, then we wasn't on salary. We was on fee basis, you know, if we didn't make any arrests or do anything, we didn't get any pay. I had to furnish my own car, pay my own deputy. And there was a lot of moonshining going on then. We'd have to get out of the night with the federal and state law and raid moonshine stills. Mm -hmm. We had a lot of races out of <laughs> liquor cars, we call them. And we'd sell them, we'd get a certain percent out of them when they'd go on the block and be sold. And that's help pay our gold. 
with you so much for cutting the moonshine still. I believe the county paid that, $10. I've cut as high as 20 in one month. That's when people didn't, wasn't even interested in here much, you know, and people had to make a living. But when the shirt factory and Raven Mills and Leslie and them come in here while people could get a job, and the biggest part of them just quit that moonshine business and went to work. They'd much rather work than to make whiskey. Were there, many, there weren't many jobs around in here, were there? Oh, no, you couldn't hardly get a job around here at all. There wasn't nothing in here but moonlight, moonshine. Well, I wasn't a fool with moonshine then. <laughs> Drank a little. <laughs> it was hard when Say Blaylock and myself was in the sheriff's office, but we didn't know what it was to go to bed and sleep all night hardly without having to get up and answer a call. For, for what? Yeah. Well, just different things. Sometimes uh, other laws from other counties would come in with a warrant, you know, and want us to go and help them locate whoever it was they had the warrant for. And sometimes the law would come in with a report on a moonshine steel somewhere and wouldn't know exactly where to go, and they'd come to the jail and get me up. To... That took place a lot of times at night? That's right, a lot of times. And then a lot of times at night, while well, we'd sit out all night waiting for a whiskey car to come through. Get in a good race with we'll catch it. Get a little profit out of that. I, I, I saw one go through one morning. I Tell the way one rides, bounce if it's loaded heavy, well, sort of like a wagon, you know, it wouldn't spring up and down, yeah. it just bounce. Yeah. You'd almost look at one and tell whether it's loaded or heavy or not. And so, so when you saw that, you, you'd stop them and search the car, and then what happened? Would you get, did you get, what do you call it, to keep the car? We'd take the car and have to get the block number off of it and all, and turn it into the clerk's office. and. And he'd fix the papers out for about 40 days while he'd sell it, auction, whoever bought it, highest bidder would buy it. And what'd you do with the whiskey? Pour it out. Pour it out. Well, um, did they uh, ever buy back their own car? A do? lot of times they would. If we were to catch them with it while they'd buy it, but if, what we call a bush bond, if they took a bush bond, we didn't catch them while they're afraid to come back and try to buy it back. They'd get away, you know. They'd, a bush bond? <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh, like that's when they jump out and run, you know, and you right. can't catch them. Yeah. Were they big? Were there big operations up in here? Was it large? Well, uh, it's a lot bigger than you have now. Sometimes I, I have. Now I don't know whether you know what I'm talking about or not, but these boxes that they ferment this mash in. Well, uh, some of the boxes hold about 500 gallons of mash, and we have cut one or two with 25 boxes. That'd be a lot of medicine. I don't know how much whiskey they'd make, several hundred gallons of them, if they got by with it. Did, did, was anybody ever after you for cutting the mask? 
I never did feel like I was. For these people, they just trying to make a living. They wouldn't have to hurt an officer. They'd get away if they could. Yeah. But they wouldn't resist and try to hurt an officer. The only time I ever had anybody try to hurt me was I was after a truckload of whiskey, a fellow from Virginia. And he backed over my car and tore it up like they got me. And I finally caught him later, though. He unloaded the whiskey. And yeah, I could get help from a liquor man if I could as I could somebody that's a church man. Yeah. They yeah, because they just felt like they were earning a living, is that? That's right. They didn't mean any harm by making whiskey. They were trying to feed their family. Yeah. I tell an old man over, I'll tell you a little story that happened on Persimmon. An old man over, he had two boys and they was making whiskey and night at supper he told them, said, now I'll tell you boys, I thought you were blockading up there. That holler, and I went up there today and found you still, and I'm going to tell you something. The very first time I catch you working on Sunday, I'm going to report you. Right from him make whiskey, but he didn't want to break in the Sabbath, making it on Sunday. Yeah. <laughs> oh, they, none of them hardly would drink. They just make it to sell. They said they didn't make it to drink. Would they make it different if they made it for themselves? Well, they used to make good whiskey in this county. And then it was a bunch coming here from another county and got to bring what they call these stack steamers and groundhogs and one thing or another, you know, to show them how to make it fast. Yeah. And it was rough. And that just right to sale of whiskey nearly in Rayburn County. Okay, so this third clip is definitely something a little bit different and probably pretty rare actually among moonshining history, I would think. But from what I've read, moonshining tended to be a gendered activity. It was mostly men who were mm. making the moonshine and crafting the uh, materials to make moonshine. But this excerpt comes from Leona Carver, who is actually Buck Carver's wife. And she helped Buck every single day with some of his moonshine activities. So she spent most of her time helping him make stills for other people that he would then sell in their kitchen. <laughs> um, so I just, I love this interview with Leona because she, you can tell she doesn't really support his moonshining activity, um, but she still is very willing to help him. Um, and she was good at it too. So the second half of this interview that we didn't share in here is her spending like 30 minutes walking the Foxfire crew through exactly how to build a quality still. Yeah, she was a coppersmith in a sense. She really was. Yeah, so we hope you enjoy that. Well, uh, when you was making the steels, uh, where did y'all do it? Did y'all just do it in the backyard or did y'all have a shed where y'all did it? Or We did it in the house. Oh, you did? Mm -hmm. Oh. Most usually in the kitchen. <laughs> um, well, uh, uh, could y'all have gotten caught any time? Yeah. Sure could. It's a risk we took to make <laughs> Yeah. Was it common for women to help their husbands back then? Uh, I reckon I was the only woman that did. <laughs> I never did hear anybody else say they did. They may have. <clears throat> well, uh, while you was doing this, uh, did you have a job, or did you just do this all the time? No, most of the time I had a job and do it at night, in the evening after I'd get in from work. When you built them, uh, when, uh, what, what was, uh, I know you had to have copper, what, what other stuff did you have to have to build them? You had to have, uh, 
the brads and the cuffs for, for the brads. And then your tools in, you had to have a rubber hammer and a, another hammer then to brad with. But he'd, we'd tin lock them, mm -hmm. and he'd beat them down with that ha hammer. And I'd hold him, you know, while he's a beating them to tin lock them, and then yeah. we'd put the brads in. And you you say you was inside of the steel when he did this? Mm -hmm. The big ones I was, when he was putting the brads in. Well. While y'all was doing this, what did he do? Did he have a job or? No, he didn't. He just, he did that all the time? No, he made steels and then he's made liquor too. Did he make it in the backyard or? Did, no, did you know where? No, I never did know where his place was. <laughs> You'd come home after work and start making them? Mm-hmm. Did, how, he, he would have them cut out and ready to fix. Then I'd come home home the evening then and make him what we could do that night. Was it hard on you to do that and raise 11 kids yes, too? Yes, it was. <laughs> I'd go to work and work eight hours then come home and fix some supper and then we'd work on sips. Well, uh, why did you do it if it was such a... Did, did he make you do it, or did you just... Well, he'd ask me to. Yeah. He tried two or three. He got less blue to help him one time and made so many dents in it till he wouldn't get less anymore. Then he'd wait till I'd get off from work and come heck. So, you was pretty good at it, huh? Um. <clears throat> yeah, pretty good. <laughs> I guess it wore you out a lot to work on it and then have to... Uh, fixed dinner and stuff like that, didn't he? Yes, sure did. And I come home from work, I'd feel like going to bed, but I'd stay up and help him because he wanted me to. How late would y'all stay up? Maybe to twelve or one or two o'clock. Uh, help. Did the making the steels? Did it help put food on your table? Well, I guess it did sometimes. <laughs> All right, and finally we have a clip from Semi Free. This is probably. One of my favorite interviews and i was laughing out loud when i was listening to this i mean it was really hard to narrow down what to share but simi uh, simi was a character and you can just tell right away he has a lot of confidence <laughs> <laughs> and he definitely uh saw himself as an artisan moonshine maker and he was not bashful about making moonshine at all no. <laughs> not at all he was proud of it, really. Yeah, and you, you could tell in this interview. Um, but he also states that he never sold his liquor except to pay for his house. So he attributes the fact that he has a home and a place to you know care for his family all because of moonshine, mm. um, which is kind of interesting. But yeah. he does get caught several, several times, and I think he's proud of getting caught. <laughs> As to the legacy. Yeah, I think... He's a good storyteller, and that's part really of the story, is. you know. Yeah. I think another thing to to realize is that most of the people that made moonshine never drank it. They were making it to sell it, mm -hmm. not to consume it. Mm -hmm. It wasn't for themselves. It was right. to try to make a living, yes. you know. But Semi's kind of the opposite. Yes. <laughs> he consumed it. Semi likes no, no, his drink. Yes, he did. He's kind of the exception in that one. He's got that good story about the snake bite. That's right. Yeah. The doctor's more worried about the snake than he was Semi. Yeah, that's hilarious. But anyway, we hope you enjoyed this last clip. Well, you know, everybody knows you have to 
took them one day and let it stay till the next day if you do it right. That's the only way we are fixing to make electric, is just doing it right. And let it work. Some say it ought to work 10, some say 15 days, and some say 20 days. Don't count the days. Take it on to the weather and the taste of your beer. When your beer gets ready to run, it's got a bit of wing. And when it goes to getting a bit of wing, you better be making your liquor. That's the truth. I don't have to have water. I've been here so many times and made so much liquor, I don't need no water to temper liquor with. I can give it this. Look at it, and then I know what it is. Oh, yeah. You wouldn't know it. Right. You might think it's buttermilk, but it wouldn't be. <laughs> <laughs> but I'll tell you one thing. Is, uh, there's a lot of people don't know how to proof liquor. Yeah. Some say they leave it 100 proof. Some says more and all like that. There ain't nothing to that. The thing to do, when you run your liquor, if you know how to make it like I do, let it run and when it breaks, I could stand 30 feet from where the liquor is coming out. I said, well, she broke. I could tell it that quick by looks. My father learned me a way back then when I was a young girl. <laughs> you were? Nine, yeah, back when I was nine years old. And I had the name making the good liquors in man ever made in Abbeytown County, Raven County, North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, anywhere. I've been a liquor maker. <laughs> but I never did make none to sell. Always barely and made enough to do me. But I got by with it. Yeah. But you did sell some eventually, didn't you? And you sold some. You sold some and paid for your land and all, didn't you? If I hadn't, I wouldn't have had a home. Yeah. I meant to. I told my wife I'd go to the chain gang and stay from now on, and I would, and I meant it. Till I had me a home. Yeah. And my, I was long-headed. Nobody couldn't tell me nothing. I done as I said to do. I don't listen to nobody. <laughs> Not today, tomorrow, you nor nobody else. Tell you the truth, I wouldn't. If you believe I would, ask the judge, will I listen? He'll say no. Judge don't say no. He won't listen. I'm just what I am. Well, how'd you pay for the land and the lumber and all that? Huh? How did you pay off all those debts for land and lumber and all the debts that you built up? Making liquor and a damn good management. Even if I did drink. <laughs> Good management. If it wasn't for that, never could have paid for nothing. You've been caught a couple times, though, haven't you? Caught? Yeah. Hell, I've served four sentences right down here in Gainesville Jail for manufacturing liquor. I served two. No, I, I kept on. I didn't go. That's a lie. I didn't go. They carried me. <laughs> carried me to the pen, uh, penitentiary. Reasonable? Yeah. I didn't go. They carried me. I didn't just walk out plumb down there to get to be there. Yeah. <laughs> I went down there and stayed two months and there were one of the wardens and all of the boss men and things. This thought the world to me. I'd be damned if they wasn't plumb good to me. 
then two months and 15 days, I was right back here in that yard. See, I've been lucky and on, no, I've never been unlucky. I've been lucky. Was that, yeah, was that the first time they caught you? You went to Reedsville or? Shoot, no, first time. Lord God, I couldn't have. Well, I'd been caught six and seven times before I'd ever have a trial. I used to be, they catch me, get once for me, couldn't catch me. Hell no, there wasn't no man on two feet could catch me. Yeah. That fellow over here, love, no, he don't love liquor as good as I did. But let me tell you one thing right now. He loved liquor good. He'd even steal it from me. And I told him to land up there and then went and reported me. I don't like a reporter. I tell the world that and he found it out. <laughs> he found it out the next thing. Well, thank you so much for joining us. We hope you uh, enjoyed and learned something from this podcast. There is so much in our archive on Moonshine. and <coughs> We'll post some more references and resources on our blog. You can also pick up a copy of Foxfire One, which has um, some more information as well as drawings and images about the process of Moonshine. Well, we, we want to thank Barry for joining us. And we've been meaning to find an, op an opportunity to get Barry on, on, the, on the podcast. And I'm glad we were able to do so. And I'm sure this will not be the last time. Nope, absolutely not. <laughs> I'm glad to be here. It's been fun. Yeah, thanks, Barry. Yeah. All right. And remember, as always, you can reach out to us on Instagram or Facebook at Foxfire Org or Tweet us at it still lives in the number one. You can also email us directly at it still lives at foxfire.org. We'd love to hear from you and look forward to hearing more suggestions. And again, head on over to our blog at www.foxfire.org slash journal for more uh, resources and some images to go along with this podcast. Be well and stay safe. Y'all have a good one out there. Bye. If you don't like that, you can throw it away. I like it. <laughs>